This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the Roaring Twenties. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on chapter six and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right. Let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and Android. This is a spooky one. So you might want to just go ahead and like grab that weighted golf club that you have in your garage now. Oh, Lord. (laughs) And I just want to make sure Russell is going to be there tonight, right? Because I'm very worried about you. I'm very worried about you with this one. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm worried now. Yeah, he's home. (laughs) Okay, good. All right, good. You'll be fine. You'll be fine then. Oh, great. You'll be fine. (laughs) Everything is fine. Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real-life creeps, from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mogap, the true crime newbie who hasn't heard any of them. (laughs) I'm nervous. Okay, and... I feel like this is going to make you more nervous, but first off, I just have to give a warning. This story does involve the death of children. Oh, my God. And so I wanted to just make sure that people knew that before we dove into this story. Okay, like, what does that mean for me? Am I stuck here? Oh, yeah, you're glued to that chair. Sorry. No getting out of it. Life doesn't happen biweekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Today, I'm going to tell you about the murders of Priscilla Gustafson and her two children, Abigail and William. But first, this story starts with a bit of an urban legend. Oh. 
One of those stories that has a kernel of truth, but the story spread like wildfire. It was passed on and on until it became something that barely resembled the truth. It's like every town has an urban legend, you know? Like we had one growing up in my hometown of like Goatman's Road. You know, like those urban legends are. mm. Yes. This one starts in 1986. Other important things happening that year include Chernobyl, the Challenger shuttle explosion, and my birth. Oh, God. (laughs) Hey, you get to call out yours every time. (laughs) I know. I I do. I wait for that moment. I can't believe I'm as old as Chernobyl. I guess I always have been as old as Chernobyl, but I feel like that happened. Mm -hmm long time ago your y'all's relevancy is really coming up at the same time (laughs) (laughs) yes also that year annie and jessica andrew's mother died from cancer they were teenagers at the time and completely devastated a few months after her death the girls were missing their mom terribly their dad had to work long hours so he wasn't around much so one night annie and jessica decided to have a seance to try and communicate with her one more time oh they, nope. they made their own ouija board took it down to the basement which has to be the worst possible room in a house for a seance and yeah. tried to call to their mother's spirit why would they do that? Why do they do that in horror movies? If I'm having a seance, I'm going out at noon on a bright, sunny day, 75 <laughs> degrees outside. I'm in the front yard. I'm telling my neighbors what's going on. You I know, don't, I don't think the spirits are awake at noon on a sunny day. You've got to have so it. You got to have it dark to cross that ethereal plane. I don't know. Just, lo- just know when I become a spirit, your girl is outside when it's warm out. <laughs> She's got a cocktail in hand. She's ready to shoot the shit at any time <laughs> in the day. Don't Noted. be calling me down to a creepy basement. I'm still going to be scared of the dark as a spirit. I am with you on the creepy basement. I've <laughs> never had a basement. I'm a little upset that I've never had a basement, but also stories like this made me pretty happy that I never had to deal with that. Yeah. Do our listeners know that Texans don't have basements? I didn't know about basements until I moved. I mean, I knew they were a thing because that's where all the good stuff happens on TV shows, but... Yeah, I mean, I remember when I told Russell that we didn't grow up with basements, and he was like, where'd you make out with your high school boyfriend? <laughs> I was like, where'd in you... parking lots and cars? I don't know. At the top of a slide? <laughs> it's like he wanted me to say, in a cornfield out back, you know? Like, no. <laughs> By the horses. <laughs> Nothing really happened during this seance, but later that night, the girls woke up to the sound of rhythmic knocking against their bedroom walls. Oh, my God. They immediately knew it was their mother's spirit. Their seance had worked. They spent hours that night talking to their mother, asking her questions, and she'd knock back her response. Was it like the – was it outside, like wind, like on a window? Uh, No, it was the walls. It was in the walls. Mm Mm-mm. Nope. They couldn't believe they had opened this line of communication to their mother, and they spent the next several nights taking advantage of it, asking her questions, her knocking her response. But the knocking never stopped. And after a few nights, it was starting to disrupt the girl's sleep. After a couple of weeks of the knocking, other strange things started happening in the house. Things would go missing or be moved. One time, things that had been on a table were found all over the floor. Another time, the girls came home from school to find that the furniture in one room had been moved to the complete other side of the room. I'm freaked out. 
it's just weird. I've never thought about this until you're telling me the story. But like, I, you know, I lost a parent at well, how old are these girls? Teenagers, 16. Yeah. Or so. I never once like had the <laughs> I don't know. I never once had the desire to be like, hey, let's <laughs> contact let's his spirit. Stop. Yeah. Like because of this. This is crazy. Yeah. And Annie and Jessica started to get the impression that this spirit was not their mother. Mm -mm. They thought they'd invited an angry spirit into their home and they didn't know how to get rid of it. And this is why you don't mess around with Ouija boards, okay? My friend Stephanie and I, we made our own Ouija board one time out of a piece of paper and an upside down glass. And it was... (laughs) (laughs) When y'all were like kids? No, we were like in our 20s. (laughs) (laughs) Why didn't you just go buy one? Well, it was late and we wanted it now. (laughs) It was right before she moved out of this loft apartment she lived in downtown that had been some like factory 100 years ago. And look, I don't necessarily believe in Ouija boards and spirits, but I also don't necessarily not believe that there was an (laughs) evil spirit in that apartment afterwards. But just in case, we like saged the crap out of that place before she moved so that it didn't follow her to her new house. Wait, for real? Yes. <laughs> That's the least surprising thing I've heard you two doing. <laughs> anyway, Annie and Jessica were having similar problems, but their dad, Brian Andrews, didn't believe them. He thought they were behind all of it, some attention-seeking antics they were doing to deal with the death of their mother. He understood at first, but after a while, he started getting upset about it. Did he know about the seance? Uh, I... Th- I'm not sure if he knew about the seance or not. I think so, because I'm sure they were like, we thought it was our mom, but now it's an evil spirit. And he's like, oh, okay. (laughs) Then one night in January 1987, Annie and Jessica were sitting in the living room when they heard the knocking again. The knocking had been going on incessantly for so long that they were going nearly insane by it. But this knocking wasn't like it usually was. It didn't sound like it was coming from the walls. It sounded like it was coming from the basement. So as if this was a horror movie, the girls decided to check it out. They grabbed a kitchen knife and made their way down the stairs to the basement. No, no. They listen. Here's your PSA. People. You go the other way. I don't you know how many times you have to say it. <laughs> you scream. You call. Maybe if you, you have cell ever phones at this point, but have a need to carry a knife, just don't go there. Yeah, like I never am trying to go towards the scary sound. No, you know, absolutely not. Ever. I'm hiding under my bed. Yeah. When they got to the bottom of the stairs, they saw a message written in red on the basement wall. It said, "I'm in your room. Come find me." What? The girls did not come find him. They ran out of the house to a neighbor and they waited there for their dad to come. But once again, Brian Andrews didn't believe in this evil spirit haunting the house and thought that the girls were behind the message. Their behavior was really concerning him. So he put the girls in counseling in the hopes that they would find a healthier way to deal with the loss of their mother. Several weeks went by, and it seemed like the spirit had moved on from their house. The knocking had stopped. Objects stayed put where they were until one night the knocking started again. This time it was coming from Annie's bedroom. (gasps) I just had to look behind me just to make sure. (laughs) God, if I could pull a prank. Mm. mm, I I would. So I – 
am looking at you on Zoom, but I have the door directly behind me. So I can see mm-hmm. the door in the camera. And it mm-hmm. is my biggest fear, especially reading this story, that I'm going to see somebody walk through that door and I'm going to see it on this camera. <laughs> and you know how it ends. So imagine how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Okay. Maybe it's because I know how it ends. So this time the knocking was coming from Annie's bedroom. So they walked in and they saw a new message written in red on her bedroom wall. It said, I'm back. Find me if you can. Once again, the girls run out of the house to the neighbors and called their dad. And once again, he thought the girls were behind it all. So he went straight home and walked right into the house. But immediately, he noticed things didn't look right when he walked in, more so than what the girls described on the phone. It started to seem, even to Brian, that someone had been in the house. Oh, mm -mm. (gasps) he went. What are you doing to me? (laughs) I know. He went straight up to Annie's room, and instead of the message the girls had told him about, he saw an additional message. It said, "Marry me." His eyes turned to the far corner of the room, and there stood a figure wearing (gasps) his wife's wedding dress. Oh my God! Stop. The figure was wearing makeup and a blonde wig and holding a hatchet in their hand. Oh, for Christ's (laughs) sake, stop. (laughs) A struggle ensued, but Brian managed to get away. Some say he climbed out the window. Some say he ran out the bedroom door. Either way, Brian said it was odd. It seemed like the figure had just disappeared. He got out of the house, met the girls at the neighbors, and called the police. The police came and searched the house, and they found the answers to all of the Andrews' (gasps) questions. Oh, my God. Tell me. The messages they discovered were written in ketchup. Oh, thank God. (laughs) A thorough search (laughs) of the house revealed a crawl space the Andrews hadn't known was there. It was hidden behind- A what? A crawl space. Oh, okay. (laughs) It was- Why? They didn't know it was there, and it was hidden behind a cabinet built into the wall of Annie Andrews' bedroom. When the officers opened the hatch to the crawl space, they found a teenage boy curled up inside. <gasps> Hiding? It was Hiding. a bride woman yep. thing? Yep. <laughs> oh, no. Listen. Basements and crawl spaces. Not yeah, okay. and I don't understand how this crawl space worked because they discovered that the crawl space was actually a passageway that tunneled through various parts of the house and that this teenager had been living in there pretending to be the ghost of Annie and Jessica's dead mother in order to torment them. Yeah, sis, you ever played Clue? You know, the secret passageways on the two sides of the game board? That's a crawl space. Oh, but... But that didn't go through, like, did it? You don't know. Mm. I love Clue. I just know that some of the older homes, like up in, like when I lived in Columbus and up in Ohio, some of those older homes have these, like, creepy, like, cr- crawl space. I mean, that's what they are. They're like this small thing that, like, kind of takes you through the middle of the house into know, another room. I don't like that. I don't yeah, like that me at all. Either. They also found peepholes in various rooms of the house so he could watch them whenever he wanted. Oh, we're doing a thorough search before I go to bed. <laughs> I cannot. The boy turned out to be 16-year-old Daniel LaPlante. And Annie 16? Mm-hmm. And Annie knew him. 
well before all the knocking started, he'd called their house and told Annie that he'd gotten her number from a mutual friend that went to school with her. He told her that he was athletic and blonde and really good looking, and Annie was (laughs) into it. They talked several more times on the phone before Annie agreed to go on a date with him. When he showed up at her door, he was not at all the person that he'd described. Actually, he was exactly the opposite. His hair was dark. Oh, is this the original catfish right here? This is the OG catfish, yep. His hair was dark and greasy. He was disheveled and not at all what Annie was expecting. But I mean, same. (laughs) My hair is real greasy and I'm very disheveled. (laughs) And disheveled. It's called quarantine, you know? I can't imagine if I had a quarantine in a crawl space. (laughs) (laughs) But because girls are always taught to be polite, she went out with him even though he was a proven super liar. Super liar. What a great term. (laughs) He took her to a fair that was going on nearby, and he was super weird. When Annie... (laughs) (laughs) Tell me more. Yeah. When When Annie mentioned that her mom had recently died, instead of saying something like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that, he asked questions. He wanted details. He wanted to know how her mother felt the moment she died and how much she'd suffered. Ew. I know. He's like the original true crime creeper also. (laughs) Yeah. You win so many awards this episode. (laughs) Damn, Damn, Daniel. Daniel. (laughs) About an hour into the worst date imaginable, Annie made up some excuse and went home. She thought that would be the last she'd see of Daniel LaPlante until he turned up in the walls of her bedroom. Oh, that was before. I forgot. Mm Mm-hmm. So this story, or ones very similar, are now passed around as fact, a completely true story. You'll find the story in blog posts, on podcasts, and even articles in places like Medium giving it as, this is what happened. This is the true story. But it's the call coming from inside the house, the murder over flashing lights at a car, the man hiding in your back seat as you drive unaware. Mm. Yes, I've heard all of this. (laughs) Nothing more than an urban legend. But it did originate in reality. So what's the real story? It was incredibly hard to find anything on this incident, as all articles and court documents I could find were about what comes later in the story, what we'll get to. Probably because Daniel was a juvenile at this time, and I couldn't find an official source anywhere with this story. But I did. And he's a super liar. And he's a super liar. Yeah, super liar, super weird, super creeper. He's the trifecta. (laughs) But I did find some newspaper articles from 1987 with some very sparse details and a Swedish blog that filled in some of the gaps. Thank God for Google (laughs) Translate. So both will be linked. So as it turns out, according to the newspaper articles I found, Andrews isn't even the family's name. Their name was Bowen. Frank Bowen had two daughters, Anita and some other girl. I couldn't find her name. Oh, okay. Anita hadn't been catfished by Daniel, who took her on that one weirdo date and she ran off. Like, they were official, an item, going steady, as the kids said. Wearing each other's letterman jackets. (laughs) Getting pinned at the dance. That sounds bad Mm -hmm. now. Yeah. He'd even met Frank, (laughs) the dad... (laughs) And the whole family at an Easter dinner. 
There was no seance, no knocking on walls, no living in a crawl space in the walls. Great. I hated that version. (laughs) I know. I still want to see blueprints for how that kind of crawl space works. No, you don't. I don't get it. So it seems that what happened, and again, very hard to find actual sources for this. These sources are 40% accurate. 40% accurate. (laughs) Seems that, or not 40% accurate, 40% reliable. Reliable. (laughs) What happened was that Daniel broke into the family home one night in December of 1986, carrying a hatchet and with some kind of war paint on his face, because every newspaper article from the time said that he was dressed like a Native American. Yikes. Yikes. He then reportedly hid in a closet until the family came home, and then he chased them around with the hatchet until they'd been corralled into a bedroom, and he held them hostage there for hours until they managed to escape through an upstairs window. And that's we that's the truth, we think? That's the true that's story. Yes. Okay. They did go to the neighbor's house to call the police, who couldn't seem to locate Daniel inside the house, even though the family knew he still had to be in there. They continued their search and finally found him. Some say they found him that night hiding in a cupboard under the sink, but other sources from that time say that he was found two days later hiding between two walls in the house. So I'm not sure which was which, but... The family had moved into a hotel after the incident because they were terrified until Daniel was caught. So I think it had been at least a couple of days before they eventually found him hiding in the house. So how did Daniel LaPlante come to commit a crime so bizarre that it would go down in true crime lore? Yeah. Is he really 16 too? Yes. 16. Like so many murderers before him, it all started in childhood. He was born in 1970, and it basically just all went downhill for him after that. <laughs> that was the being born in the 70s. Yeah, he was peaking. Yeah, he peaked then on his birthday. Um, I'd like to preface this by saying that it seems like every source on the internet that discusses Daniel's childhood all seems to be pulling from the same original source which was a source that already admitted they were wrong about the entire story of Daniel hiding in the walls and wearing the wedding dress. I couldn't find any reputable fact-checked sources that had information on his childhood, but this is what was reported. It's said that he had an incredibly traumatic childhood, mostly due to a father who spent his time abusing him emotionally, physically, and sexually. Oh. This abuse at home led to him struggling in school, and he was quickly diagnosed with dyslexia. He had very few friends at school, and most of the kids thought he was creepy and weird. He behaved very abnormally and had very poor hygiene. He didn't seem interested in taking care of himself at all, which, of course, is a symptom of abuse. Right. The school would eventually refer to him, refer him to a psychologist, and perhaps if this psychologist had done his job, Daniel maybe could have been able to turn his life around and would never have done all the horrible things that he went on to do. Well, how do we know he didn't do his job? Because instead, that psychologist chose that opportunity to sexually abuse him during their sessions. And this went on for at least a year. Okay, I'm sorry I asked. (laughs) 
Basically, every adult male figure in a position to care for him instead abused him. And of course, I don't say any of this to excuse the things that he did in his life. There are many survivors of abuse that do not go on to commit heinous acts of violence like Daniel. But I think it's important to see what creates a person like Daniel LaPlante. What goes into that? It's like that um, McDonald's. McDonald's, you pick three. <laughs> what was it? The Big Mac, the fries, the drink. What's it called? The McDonald triad. Yeah, that. <laughs> that, that would be like- bedwetting, animal abuse, and fire starting. <laughs> That's not what I order when I pull through, but. Uh, <laughs> by Daniel's early teens, he was living with his mother and stepfather, Elaine and David Moore, and his two brothers, Stephen and Matthew. And this is where his criminal life starts. There's a very clear escalation of Daniel's crimes. Hmm. He started breaking into people's houses and stealing their valuables. And he got pretty skilled in the burglary arts. And I think he just really got bored with just stealing. He wanted to torment the people whose houses he was breaking into. So he started leaving things behind or moving things around. He wanted to play mind games. This escalated to him holding the Bowen family hostage that night in December of 1986. And I think as part of that urban legend of, you know, the things being moved around and all of that. Now, after that whole incident with the Bowens, Daniel was arrested on kidnapping and armed assault charges And he was sent to a juvenile facility for less than a year before he was released in October of 1987. So if you're thinking, yeah, and if you're thinking, oh, thank God, he went to a juvenile facility and obviously they helped him and turned him around and helped, you know, make sure that he wouldn't continue doing these heinous crimes. No, see, I used to be wrong. And then I started hanging out with you once a week. (laughs) And I already know that's not what happened here. No, he immediately went back to his burgling ways. Mm-hmm. On October 14th, 1987. So remember, he was released sometime in October. So by October 14th, he's already breaking into the home of somebody else. This was the Pindle family. And he's so stole- wait, at most, that's two weeks. If yep. he was released on like October 1st, First, right? The it- most is two weeks. Yep, exactly. OMG. He broke into the home of the Pindles and he's or the Pindels and he stole two Ruger 22 caliber guns and their holsters, as well as a bunch of cash. Mm. Three weeks later, Daniel's stepfather, David, found one of the guns in Daniel's laundry basket. This different dad than the this is a stepdad. So not the one that this one has not abused him. Right. As far as I know, to my knowledge, I don't think he had. Okay. Obviously, finding a gun in your stepson's laundry basket would, you know, worry anybody. So he and Daniel's mother confronted him about the gun. Daniel lied and said he'd gotten it a year before in Westminster. But like, does that make it a better story? I mean, show me the receipts. (laughs) And also, who's selling you a gun? And also, why do you have a gun? Why did you buy a gun? Yeah, you're 16. I'm asking all of the questions. Because they knew, because he'd already served a, a year, year, so they mm-hmm. knew he had, a, like, a history. I Part of me wonders if they were scared of him, because Ooh, probably just from what he did to the Bowens and what he would go on to do later, it just seems like he would be somebody that I would be very nervous around, just in general. Like, I'm sure he, you know, yeah, could act semi-threatening. 
Yeah, and I guess I never think about, like, you can still be scared of your child as a parent. I mean, obviously, I'm a joy. Yeah, have you ever seen The Good Son? No. <laughs> obviously oh, not. Obviously not. Obviously, you're a joy. Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, obviously, I'm a joy to be around, so I can't relate. But. I mean, same. <laughs> Like I guess my mom's are rolling her eyes right now. <laughs> I know. If my mom realized that this was a podcast and I wasn't on the radio, she would also. Uh, <laughs> she thinks I'm on the radio. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, you come through the radio, so that's true. I guess you know it's for the best that she doesn't know because then I can just keep delivering the Louise content everyone wants. Yeah. I yes. Let's just keep it from your mom. <laughs> His brother also saw Daniel with a bunch of cash, more than Daniel should have had since he didn't have a job. No job? No job. Maybe that's the whole problem. I mean, he should have been working. Yeah, I mean, go get you <laughs> spot the waffle. and You won't have time to be corralling families into a bedroom with a hatchet. Right. You'll be too busy slinging hash browns and learning mm, what... That sounds so good. Learning what all the codes are. What are all the codes for the hash browns? Scattered from the covered chunks, cap, top, diced. <laughs> oh, I love that you remember that. <laughs> oh my God, remember? Are you kidding? Hey, P.S., they posted on Instagram that they were hiring the other day and I was offended. I was like, excuse me. Wait, who Instagram posted? No, the Waffle. Oh, the Waffle House. Oh. And as you know... I'm you were apparently like, not qualified. Oh, right. Oh, that's right. <gasps> Tell that story, Mogab. What? Just that after eight years of experience, I'm not qualified to work at the Waffle House, even though I worked there and have a college degree. It was that you were overqualified, surely. No, I was not qualified is what he told me. Oh, because you didn't know the new system, right? No, because I couldn't work on Christmas Day. <laughs> and he was like, it it's not gonna work for me, and I was like, ah, not gonna work for you. I told you the second question they asked me was like, do you have a reliable vehicle? And I was like, yeah, it's that one part. <laughs> I mean, it's just, and then they made me do all this math. I'm like, I know you use a calculator, anyways. I will be going back. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day -day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, 
H-E-L-P dot com slash creepers. This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really help support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine, but the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pros custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, Pros proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. So on November 16th, 1987, barely a month after his release from the juvenile facility and when he was only 17 years old, he broke into a home about half a mile from where, from where he lived with his family. This was the home of Andrew and Priscilla Gustafson and their children. Oh, while there, Daniel stole a some really cool stuff. Mogab, are you ready? Okay, <laughs> really cool yeah. stuff. Yeah, he got a cordless telephone. Yep, <laughs> two cable television boxes, a cable <laughs> television remote control device, and some coins from a Liberty is. Silver Dollar collection. Oh God. Get out. <laughs> he put the cordless phone and the cable boxes in his brother Stephen's toolbox, telling him that he was just hiding it from their parents. Stephen had a close friend named Michael Pulowski, and Daniel asked him for some bullets. And a couple of weeks later, apparently not knowing what Daniel had planned, Michael gave him a few twenty-two caliber bullets from a carton he had. Michael. What do you mean you don't know what Can we ask plan? a couple of questions, you know? Yeah, like... If you're asking me for bullets, or like in the last episode, if you're asking me to hide a duffel bag, <laughs> I am asking follow-up questions. Yeah, no kidding. Like, especially if I know you have a record. Right, and you're creepy as hell. If you're inconveniencing me at all, I'm asking follow-up questions. <laughs> Much less if you're shady, and then you're also inconveniencing me. You know? <laughs> Like, I don't have time for that. Well, on December 1st, 1987, he broke into the Gustafson home again, sometime in the afternoon, armed this time with the gun he stole from the Pindells, because remember, they only found one of the guns in the laundry basket. He'd stolen two. Right. And this gun was loaded with the bullets that he'd gotten from Michael Pulowski. But he's in the – he went back to the same house, like, as if he didn't get enough cordless phones <laughs> the first time. <laughs> Okay. Right. Also, Pulowski, like an all like an all time great name. I know. I love it. Pulowski. Pulowski. That's like you know he's getting called by his last. Yes. Name. That I mean, could you imagine playing softball with that guy? Like, hey, Pulowski. Yeah, it's like a mogab. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yes, that's great. 
The family was out. Andrew Gustafson was at work. And Priscilla, who was pregnant at the time, she was at the church where she taught preschool. Her five-year-old son, William, who went by Billy, was at the preschool with her. And her seven-year-old daughter, Abigail, who went by Abby, was at school. Daniel took advantage of the empty house, and he wandered around looking for things to steal. At some point, he grabbed a beer out of the fridge. Make yourself at home, Daniel. Yeah. But then he heard the front door open as Priscilla Gustafson arrived home with little Billy. For a brief moment, Daniel considered leaving, jumping out a window and getting away. Yes. But he decided not to. He would end up making a lot of terrible, terrible decisions. He came out and confronted Priscilla with the gun he'd brought, and he forced Priscilla and Billy upstairs to the master bedroom. He put Billy in the closet, possibly tied up and gagged with a sock, and then he tied Priscilla to the bed. He used things like neckties and pantyhose to tie them up. His plan during all of this was to leave after he'd gotten her tied up, but again, he decided not to. Instead, he raped her. (sighs) He knew at that point he still could have just left, but again, he didn't. He decided to kill her instead. Oh, God damn it, Daniel. He put a pillow over her head and he shot her twice in the head. He then went to the closet where little five-year-old Billy was. He told Billy that his mom was sleeping and he walked him to the master bathroom where he drowned the boy in the bathtub. Oh, my God. As he was leaving, seven-year-old Abby arrived home from school, and he made his last horrific decision of that day. No, 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 no. He lured her into the downstairs bathroom, and he drowned her there. She was found. And the dad, where's the dad? He's at work. (sighs) Abby was found to have blunt force trauma and compression of the neck, so it seems like she put up a fight. Yeah, Abby, you go, girl. Yeah, you go, girl. After they were all dead, he left the house and went home, ate, and went to his six-year-old niece's birthday party and played with her. What? All as if he hadn't just murdered two little kids and their mother. Their pregnant mother. He had the audacity to then go to a kid's birthday party. Yep. Yep. I hate him. He's the worst. Meanwhile, Andrew Gustafson was at work. He was one of two lawyers in the small town, and he'd just closed a big real estate deal. He tried calling Priscilla to see if she could get a sitter that night so that they could go out to dinner and celebrate, but she didn't answer. So he drove the mile home, and he arrived around 530 to find his wife shot to death in their bed. The pillow was still over her head. He said he screamed and wailed. And I think a part of him recognized how quiet the house was and what he would find if he went looking for his kids. Oh, my God. He said he was too afraid to look for them. He couldn't bear to find them dead. He called the police. This is heartbreaking. I I know. He called the police immediately, and they arrived at the Gustafson home quickly. The police searched the home and discovered Abby in the downstairs bathroom face down in the tub. They made their way upstairs, where they found Billy also face down in the tub, and Priscilla in the master bedroom. Police and crime scene techs went to work, and they found plenty of evidence, because Daniel is a dumbass. Well, it didn't sound like he was ever 
being careful, right? No, he like, wasn't careful at all. They found semen and sperm cells on the bedspread, a used condom on the floor. They found many things that had that could have been used as ligatures, including pantyhose that had been cut up and tied, and a sock with saliva on it that was probably used as a gag. They found the half-drunk bottle of beer taken from the Gustafson kitchen. Oh my and God. in the kitchen's trash can, they found pages that had been ripped from a porn magazine. So what was he even doing in there? Wait, did you say they also found – you said they found a condom? Yeah, a used condom. It, he didn't even take that with him or the beer right. bottle. I mean yeah. – what an idiot. What an idiot. Police made a list of initial suspects before the lab work came back. And because of Daniel's recent release from the juvenile facility and what he had done to the Bowens, he made this list. Police knew the Gustafson house had been burgled a few weeks before, and they knew Daniel had a history of burglaries. So why hadn't they asked him about it after the burglary? <laughs> That's what I was going to say. They, I mean, I'm not pointing fingers, but had you followed up and asked him about that? Maybe this part wouldn't have happened. Right. I mean, did the did what's his name Andrew? Did he the dad think that? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, like I that would have been my first question. Could you have prevented this? Right. Yeah. Yeah. They found Daniel at the public library, and he told them that he didn't have anything to do with the murders. He said he'd been home all day, and then he was at his niece's birthday party. Police knew he was lying, but they didn't have actual evidence against him yet, so they couldn't arrest him. They could, however, get a search warrant on his house to hopefully find some evidence. They found a 22 caliber shell casing matching the bullets used on Priscilla, and that gave them enough to bring him in. But Daniel LaPlante had fled. <gasps> After police came to search his house, he'd run into the woods behind his house, and they lost track of him. He then went and broke into a couple more houses and stole another gun, a 32 this time. What an idiot. Like, when you say fled, I'm thinking he, like, took off. Not, like, on foot into other homes. <laughs> well. I'm thinking, like, San Diego. He took off to Mexico. <laughs> 30 miles from the Mexican border. <laughs> yeah, that's what I picture. <laughs> the next house he went to belonged to a woman named Pamela Michaela. But he ordered her at gunpoint to get in her van and drive him to another city, but Pamela decided, and not today, Daniel, and she <laughs> jumped out of the van while it was moving and ran off on foot while Daniel just continued off in her van. Was she driving? She jumped out of the driver's seat? I, okay, I could not picture how this happened if she, like, jumped out of the driver's <laughs> seat and Daniel took over the car. He jumped over? Yeah, I'm assuming that's how it happened. I'm not sure. But she was oh, able- no, I love that for Pam. <laughs> I know. Love that journey for Pam. <laughs> Love that journey for Pam. She was able to call police and let them know Daniel was in her van. So now they at least know what car he's in. After a statewide manhunt that included over 50 officers, police dogs, and even helicopters, they finally managed to track him down and found him hiding in a dumpster like the garbage he is <laughs> and arrested him. God. Oh, I... Daniel, you have zero redeeming quality, sir. Zero. No, and he – not that he gets worse. I don't think you can get worse than that. But he, no, never gets any better. And apparently he was oh, laughing buddy. hysterically as they arrested him. What? Police found the loaded thirty-two stuffed in his underwear and an extra bullet in his sock. 
Was he arrested the same day that he murdered? Or this is the next day? Because he already went to the birthday party and everything. Um, It's not the same day. No. And I'm not sure how long after. They had to wait till they got the search warrant on his house. And that probably took a little bit. I mean, I don't think it took very long. Daniel's trial began in October of 1988 when he was 18 years old. I was one. (laughs) I was one years old. Okay, you give me a hard time about it. Even though he was technically a juvenile when he committed the murders, he would be tried as an adult. Good. Yeah. Daniel pled not guilty at his trial, which is just ridiculous because the evidence against him was pretty overwhelming. Yeah, that's offensive to me. So, (laughs) and it's just one of those times where I just wonder if maybe they just didn't offer him a deal. Maybe he just had to plead not guilty. I don't know. Police were able to match the bullets used to kill Priscilla to the same type of bullets given to Daniel by Pulowski. DNA was... Pulowski. Pulowski. (laughs) That's so good. You gotta leave that in. That was good. (laughs) DNA was still pretty young at the time, but they were able to match the semen on the comforter to his blood type. And there were fibers on the clothes Daniel was wearing that day that placed him in the Gustafson home. And police knew what he was wearing that day because he told them when they'd come to question him the first time. They matched his shoes to shoe prints outside the Gustafson home. His brother found the murder weapon in the glove compartment of an abandoned vehicle parked at Daniel's house. And they also found all those missing items he stole from the Gustafson home. But Daniel did not make it easy on his defense team. The case against him was practically airtight, and he did not come across great. Oh, imagine. He just sat there smirking most of the time. He showed absolutely no remorse throughout his entire trial. I don't think anyone in that courtroom liked him. And I'm pretty sure if I'd been there, I'd have wanted to dropkick him across the courtroom. Yeah. But his defense team did what they could. They gave a half-hearted effort to try and pin it on someone else in his house, like his brothers or stepfather. But they all had alibis for the time of the murder. They tried to get some sympathy for their client by talking about his terrible childhood and the abuse he endured. But it didn't work. The jury deliberated. Which is all sad. But I think there's plenty of victims that don't then go on to. Right. But it didn't work. The jury deliberated for five hours before finding him guilty on all five counts. He was sentenced to three life sentences to be served consecutively. Wait, I don't understand. Isn't a life sentence life? Isn't it end when you die? So here's the thing. Says the criminal justice major of one (laughs) semester, two or one One year. year, Two semesters. Uh, Two two years. Well, whatever. I think it was two years. You don't even know how long it was. (laughs) I know. Here's the thing. Um, A life sentence is typically 15 or so years. I don't know why they call it life if it's 15 years, but there we are. So yeah, I mean, life that the my cat had a longer life than that. <laughs> Cats live longer than that. <laughs> so when he was given three life sentences, he was actually just given forty five years before he'd be up for parole. So why don't they just say that? I don't. I don't know. I. It sounds better. <sighs> you get three life sentences. I don't know. And I, I will say, a life sentence is different than life without parole. Life without parole means you're right. dying in prison. You're there forever. Right, right. But a life sentence is 15 years. So. 
But like 45 years, he's what, like six, he's 18 mm-hmm. maybe now? 18 17. at the time of the trial. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So he will be getting out. Mm-hmm. In 11 years. he's not going to die in there probably. Yeah, in 11 years. And he was born in oh, okay. 1970. So what is that? 50. He'll be 52 when he gets out. I mean, you can still have a life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. People are getting married at 52. Gross. Nobody married Daniel mm-hmm. LaPlante. I wonder if he's <laughs> one of those PSA, that gets people. those murderer letters. I wonder if people find Wait, him attractive, like to? Chris Watt. Wait, what are you talking about? You know Chris Watt that killed his whole family, his two little girls and no. his wife? Of course you no. don't. Well, I mean, it's honestly, it's fine that you don't. He's such a dick, and I think he's gotten way too much publicity. And the thing is, I think he likes it, you know, which is why. Wait, why did he do, why did he do this? family annihilator oh, really? i don't know he was having an affair but like to me that's just not a big enough reason to kill your whole family i mean because he's a s- psycho i don't know but anyways people find him attractive and he gets all these letters in prison and it's disgusting oh my god like fan mail yes get the yeah fuck i've out. seen people the letters. are not I've read writing. the letters is disgusting yeah it's gross like people are like i've been thinking about you with chris me? and they don't think he did it because he's, like, too cute or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. The world is unwell. <laughs> I know. I know. Ew. Uh, oh, woof. The strongest evidence against Daniel was the evidence found at his home. So in 1993, Daniel appealed to try and say that evidence had been found illegally due to a bad search warrant. Because... Get this. This is the best argument I've ever heard in my whole life, Mogab. He tried to say that the search warrant incorrectly identified his house as a single family home, but that it actually was a two family home. And that was what made the search illegal. But the police are like, "Uh, the house has one mailbox. The house has one street number. And when we went inside the house, it looked like the one family took up the whole space. So... That appeal was denied by a judge. Oh, thank God. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then in prison, Daniel apparently has been as obnoxious as humanly possible. Of in course. 2000, he requested segregation after getting some threats from other prisoners, but that meant he no longer had access to the library. So he sued for his rights being denied, and he ended up getting $450. Do you know who I'm picturing right now? Oh, God, tell and me. And I who? don't know why. Snape. You know how we do this? You know this game we play here? Oh, yes. I'm just picturing like a greasy, dark haired Fred Durst. Oh, my God. From like Limp Bizkit. Do you that know what I'm name, saying? I did not expect I, that name to come out of your mouth. I know. Because because my original first thought, it, this is what happened. This is the image I had in my head and then it started morphing. I was with a Johnny Depp, mm. who I know a lot of people find attractive. I do not. Yeah. And it was like more because of the hair, I think. And then I was like, but I need more douche. I need more douchebaggery. <laughs> and then I got Fred Durst with greasy brown hair. I need to Google this. Name. I feel like you're not that far off. Yes. Honestly. Someone also sent him porn in prison, which was confiscated, and he threw a giant fit about it. 
But the best part was in 2013 when Daniel decided that he was a Wiccan and he started yelling about how he wasn't being allowed to properly exercise his faith because they wouldn't provide him with dragon's blood, black opium, honeysuckle, or carrot cake. Wait, what? Carrot cake? I don't know. Wiccans out there, do you need carrot cake? Is that a religious? This is so weird to see him like, I mean, they show him as like a young kid, but then to see him now, mm-hmm. I mean, he looks like you're like everyday, like dentist. I know, gross. Or like financial advisor. Ugh. Do not let this man advise your finances or work on your mouth. Oh, God. No. In 2017, the Supreme Court ruled. God, he's wearing a fucking cardigan. Sorry. <laughs> God. <laughs> Go ahead. In 2017, the Supreme Court ruled that juveniles could not be given life sentences without the possibility of parole, and Daniel hoped that he could use this ruling to get a reduction in his sentence. He wanted to get his consecutive life sentences turned into concurrent life sentences, which meant that he would have been eligible for parole that year in 2017 instead of 2032, which is when he will be up for parole. He came out and Mm. he gave this statement of remorse, but everyone there said it was the most insincere apology they'd ever heard. They could all tell that he was lying. He was just going through the motions to try to get his sentence reduced. Yeah, boy, bye. Boy, bye. And like I said, the life sentences, those are three life sentences. That's 45 years and then he gets parole. It's not the same as life without parole. And juveniles should not be getting life without parole. Like, they should have an opportunity to have some sort of reestablishment in society if they are deemed, if it's deemed appropriate for them, you know? If they are getting, like, rehabilitation of some sort. I mean, he's not. He wasn't. No, and prison doesn't. That's the thing. Prison doesn't. And, but also, Daniel wasn't given life without parole. He was given 45 years. I'm sorry. You murdered, cold-blooded murdered three people, including two children. So his request yeah. was denied. I don't think he would have gotten parole anyway, but stranger things have happened. So, like, let's just deny. Yeah, go ahead and keep him there as long as possible. I'm going to, pl- I'm going to, I want to push the, I'm going to be the denied button in, in episodes. Denied. Denied. The judge said this case does not involve a single act that resulted in three deaths. Mr. LaPlante committed three distinct and brutal murders. He killed a 33-year-old pregnant mother and her five- and seven-year-old children. He left a family and community devastated. The court finds that the maximum penalty is warranted. Priscilla's brother said, Is it justice? How can you say it's justice? He executed Priscilla and her children. When he lifts that life sentence off of them, we can lift the life sentence off him. Oh, Dang. Yeah. After the murders. I concur. Yeah. After the murders, Andrew Gustafson moved in with his parents for a few months before he decided that he was ready to move back into the house. I don't think I could have done that, but he said he had to emotionally reclaim it. He said he had to go back in there and be all right. And he said the house became a source of strength for him with the memories of his family. I'm sorry. Okay. That's... That's awesome, but no way you're getting a good night's sleep in there, right? I couldn't. Like, no way yeah, are you just like I couldn't. sawing logs there in the middle of the night. No. But he said the love that occurred there was much stronger than the death there. 
So, mm. and he did manage to move on with his life. Two years after the murders, he married a woman named Carol who had recently lost her husband. Both of them involved their late spouse in the wedding, like Carol had her late husband's father give her away, and Andrew had Ugh. Priscilla's brother sing at the wedding. They Stop They it. both wore two wedding bands. Oh, my God. I know. That's so cute. Andrew says he isn't sure if he'd been able to enjoy his life again without Carol, and the couple hoped to adopt a child. He mm-hmm. passed away in 2014 at the age of 60, which is so young. And yeah. according to his obituary, they did have two daughters, Holly and Laura. I'm not sure if they were adopted. You know, Carol was in her, like, late 40s when they got married. But they could have been adopted. And he even had a grandchild. So oh my gosh. it was nice to see that he at least was able to have a decent life after such yeah. a horrible, horrible thing happened. Ugh. And that's the story gosh. of the Gustafson family murders and the bizarreness that is Daniel LaPlante. So sad. I think sometimes you think when you hear these stories, you think so much about the victims, which obviously you should, but then the people that – they're also victims, the people that are left behind. Oh, that one really broke my heart. I know. I just – I guess now that I'm like sharing my life with someone and really care about someone that I see and spend time with every single day, you know, just to have that – Taken away. Like your routine and everything. I don't know. It's just so crazy. Yeah, thank God I'm not spending the night by myself. <laughs> oh, sorry. I told you, just go but ahead and tell him to kitties. bring the, the weighted golf club up. Yes, I will. Some bring my dinner up. I haven't eaten. Also not be spending the night by myself because I have two new kitties. Yeah, you won't be spending any time sleeping. <laughs> go get them. I want to see that. Hey, peeps and creeps. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. We love to hear from you. So please, please engage with us on social media you can find us on all social media platforms at creepers pod and you can also email us key suggestions any feedback um, anything you want to hear from us at creeperspod at gmail.com also a big thanks to everyone who has left us a review on apple podcasts they help us out so much so if you liked this episode and you have an iphone We would so appreciate it if you would just leave us a five-star rating and a review. And while you have your iPhone out, please, please like and follow us on all social media accounts. Yes, be sure to follow us on social media because we're going to do our giveaways coming up at the end of the month, at the end of April. We're going to start doing a giveaway a week to celebrate our birthdays that are at the end of April, beginning of May. So make sure a little creeps yes. like a sweepstake. So make sure you follow us, especially on Instagram, but we'll also be posting it on Facebook and we will um, send you guys that way from Twitter. And then be sure to subscribe to True Crime Creepers so you will have our next episode as soon as it drops when I'll tell Mogab another wild story. Bye, peeps and creeps. Man, I forgot about giveaways. I'm excited. <laughs>